everyone. Welcome to another episode of Captain Hunter's podcast, the podcast that is what? Dedicated towards bridging the divide between the police and the communities that they serve. I know you guys knew it. Um, so uh, thank you so much for tuning in as we do. Um, another episode for you today. Another great episode for you today. Uh, before we get into it, obviously, I'm going to go over the the, uh, the housekeeping there. Please make sure that you rate, subscribe, and share these episodes. Number one way you can support the podcast is by rating these episodes. Hit that thumbs up. Give it that five stars. Subscribe to these episodes. And share these episodes. Very, very important to share. Tell your friends, your neighbors, send it through an email. Tell your mama uh, and everyone else that you know. Um, if you enjoy what we're doing here, then please support the podcast through PayPal, Cash App, and Venmo. Cash App and Venmo is CBTL Hunter. PayPal is capped CAPT Hunter. That's CAPT Hunter. That's uh, for PayPal. Really, really appreciate your love, your support. Uh, head on over to HunterPoliceTraining.com. HunterPoliceTraining.com. Uh, check out the services that I'm offering, life coaching, uh, prepare, preparation for uh, tests, whether you want to become a police officer or if you want to move up the, the uh, promotional ranks, um, offering trainings, testing, things like that. If you have a show idea, hit me up, cptlhunter at gmail.com. Uh, there's someone you want me to interview, cptlhunter at gmail.com. Uh, I am sitting in my um, downstairs right now, and as I record this, it's the, the morning and the sun is beating, beaming on my head uh, right through my blinds. So forgive the, uh, if you're looking at this through YouTube, uh, <laughs> forgive the, uh, uh, the the lack of professionalism with how my face looks uh, uh, while, it's, uh, while I'm recording this. I usually record the introductions at another time at a later time so uh so for today's episode we have a good one for you today it's the beginning of february and i want to feature uh african-americans in particular african-american females uh who are doing something uh for their communities uh who are who are written books or um, in heads of different organizations and starting businesses and all that type of thing so that's what i want to do for african-american history month or for black history month so first up is miss tristan Right, she is the uh, head liaison, the head coordinator, the head honcho of her security team at her church. She and I met at the um, diversity and inclusion uh, instructors uh, certificate program at, at a uh, university, that, a class that we both attended. Uh, and so uh, I reached out to her and of course she said yes, she'd come on the show and we'd talk about it. So I think it's very apropos to have her at this particular time because number one, as I mentioned, I want to focus on African-American females and what they were doing and are doing. And um, and I want to focus on uh, and considering that um, the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security has released another memo as I record this uh, for 2021 say, stating that uh, they are on a lookout and, and, and believe that there's going to be a rise in the uh, white domestic terrorist attacks uh, that are going on, um, I think that it's very, very important that we uh, focus on 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 that and, and make sure that our churches, our houses of worship, our community centers, our schools, uh, and ourselves are safe, uh, considering all that's going on. So, uh, Ms. Tristan Wright and I recorded this episode uh, quite some time ago, but uh, I'm releasing now because of, of those two factors uh, that I that I uh, mentioned. So uh, up is Miss Tristan Thompson. What's uh, Tristan Thompson? <laughs> Tristan Wright. Uh, what's interesting uh, about this uh, about this is that uh, you know, sometimes people are, are kind of nervous and everything like that. So the conversation actually got better 
uh, when she thought I wasn't uh, <laughs> recording, but I was. <laughs> now, to anyone who's going to be a pr prospective guest on the show, I don't secretly record you. <laughs> but it just so happened that uh, I did not hit the stop record button when we when we finished talking. And again, or or maybe I, I started up again. I can't really remember. Anyway, I, I caught the, the tail end of the conversation that we had once again when she thought I wasn't recording anymore. Uh, I did tell her that I was that I was recording. I believe I did anyway. Um, so I'm not trying to sneak up anyone. I don't want anyone to listen to this and think that Captain Hunter's out there sneak, secretly recording people because I'm not. <laughs> so um, so anyway, here is the interview with uh, Miss Tristan Wright. My pleasure. Thank you for asking me. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for asking. I don't think anybody's ever asked me before how I've been doing. So that's good. It shows you care. Uh, so, um, so we met at a um, at a diversity and inclusion uh, certificate program that we're going through. Um, so I enjoyed your story uh, and um, and the reached out to you and to be a guest on the podcast and uh, you said you would and uh, I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for asking. Thank you for uh, having me. I appreciate it. Well, well, thank you for having an interesting backstory. So uh, could you tell us Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? So my name is Tristan Wright, and um, I reside in, uh, in Michigan. But my uh, professional job is that I'm the Vice President of Operations for Lansing Entertainment and Public Facilities Authority. And we are a, uh, a management facility or a company, I should say, not facility, that oversees three properties. And one of my responsibilities is security here for the authority, but also on my personal side of my life. I also reside or I go to Epic Center Worship Church that's here in Lansing, Michigan, but I also serve as a... What was the name of it? What was the name of it? Epic Center of Worship Church. Okay. And um, I serve as the COO uh, there for the church. And, um, you know, I have two wonderful men, uh, pastors uh, who oversee the church who have been called to... Uh, be the shepherds of the church there and they're just very wonderful people and uh they're very teaching equipping pastors and um you know through the things that have been going on in our country you know active violence especially with schools places of worship and uh you know our pastor's like hey we need to make sure our congregation and our ministerial staff is prepared god forbid something like this happens so he asked if I would be willing to uh, help, and I was—I was more than more than happy to do so. Very good. So that was the as aspect of your um, uh, bio that was really most interesting to me, uh, because I grew up in church, and it was a very um, well, you know, women always outnumber the men, but the men were in charge, and so you being the COO of the security, is it, am I saying it right? Is that what you would call it? So actually, I'm COO over the church itself. So the oh, okay, okay. Well, explain coaches, explain that to me. What does that mean? <laughs> what so does the that chief operator, the chief operating officer. So basically, I oversee the church. So you know, it's it's the maintenance, it's it's the repairing of things, it's it's getting things done and taken care of. It's it's in, interior and exterior. Okay. You know. Hiring um, like a contractor to do the snow and the shoveling, you know, uh, the snow removal and getting our lawn cut. You know, if a light goes out, that's my responsibility to get it fixed and taken care of. And the security component of the church has fallen up under that uh, sector as well. So that's making sure that those who are in the church 
they are safe. And those who are outside the church, they are safe. You know, it's keeping an eye out for our pastors and his, and his wife and his family and their congregation, the whole entire flock. You know, it's, it's preparing them. It's helping them. It's, it's fixing this. It's, it's serving. I mean, that's what I do. I, I have a serving role. That is my role there with the church is that I serve under well, I do serve under God, you know? Now, is this a large church? It, sound, it sounds like a almost type of mega church type of thing. Is it, no, you know? we're not a mega church. Um, you know, the church is probably about maybe 22,000 square feet of space, but our congregation is about 300 people. So it's, it's, it's not a mega church. Okay. What are the classifications for a mega church? It was like over a thousand. Is that what the number well, is? Five hundred thousand. Well, like mega church. You're probably thinking more like the Joel Olsteins of the world. Well, and, we all can't be like that. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, he's got like fifty thousand members or something like that, right? Something well, like that. yeah. Well, yeah. He's sitting in a in a basketball old basketball stadium that he's converted into his house of worship. Yeah. You know, that was like fifty thousand plus seat arena there. Yeah. You know, right there in the heart of uh, Texas. Wasn't wasn't he going to step down? I don't want to talk about Joel Osteen, but wasn't he, he was going to step down or something, right? Or something well, like you know, obviously, I mean, a little backstory on him, which I think you might be familiar. You know, his father had been the pastor, you know, for many, many years, but then he passed away. And Joel Osteen himself was more or less pushed into his destiny because he was always behind the scenes. He, you know, as Joel Osteen talks about his backstory, he was there behind the cameras trying to make things look good for his father. But then when his father passed away, the Lord most certainly pushed him into the destiny that Joel was being prepared for. And, uh, you know, he took over. He has two younger children whom I believe both are finished with school or maybe they still might be in college, but they have taken an interest in, uh, you know, Joel Osteen's, you know, line of business there, the family business, I guess you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to talk about Joel Osteen. Um, we don't have to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so, okay, so the chief operating officer uh, and the security is a component of that. And as I mentioned, I grew up in church, and it was very, you know, although the women were 80% the church, the men were really the dominant force. So what intrigued me was that your story is that you were, number one, as the chief operating officer, as you just mentioned, but um, that you were directing men uh, analysts, and I want to get away from the sexist idea. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, appre- I'm appreciating the fact that you that you're doing what you're doing. I want to start off with that. But you're 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 telling these men about how to be secure and safe and how to go about you know you know setting up this whatever it is you're setting up. So first, explain to us what it is you're setting up for, for as far as the security as far as the church. Are you arming men? You're telling them to get to get weapons or telling people where to stand and what what is that exactly are you doing? So not necessarily arming them. Um, but more or less standing, training, to kind of be vigilant, mm-hmm. pay attention to your surroundings. I guess you want to call that situational awareness, mm-hmm. you know, um, keeping an eye out for our pastor. You know, when he or his family pulls up, that becomes your focus now. Like, you know, the deacons will be assigned to say, hey, you are to cover, you know, our pastor here. And bottom line is it's, it's paying attention to the, the area that the church, you know, it's, it's making rounds around the church, not only inside, but outside as well. You know, obviously with COVID here, we had to kind of change the direction some, but even with us doing service outside of our church in our parking lot, they still have to be vigilant to see what is going on, who is around, paying attention to people and cars that they may not be familiar with, right? 
um, keeping an eye on him, being his armor bearer for that particular day, assisting his needs and making sure, God forbid, something happens. You cover him and his wife or his children, or if we have to split up as a team, we need to cover them and get them to safety, you know, and also keeping an eye out for the rest of the congregation as well. But it's, you know, paying attention to the doors. Can you please stand over this set of doors? Uh, can you be mindful and walk around? It's just more or less giving them direction and some order, you know, more or less with, with regards to security and safety. Now, were there any threats uh, besides what's going on in the country? Were there any threats that the pastor has received or has anything ever happened within the church that made you decide to say, okay, hey, listen, we need to do something? Well, we had moved from one location um, here in Lansing, and there's been a few times that our pastor, you know, people have approached him um, probably in not such a comfortable manner, you know, so it, it's really making sure that he is protected. And him being a pastor, him and his first lady, you know, people want to approach them, but we have to be mindful of that. Though we are greeter, greeters, we also have to be that guardian to of, of our pastors, right? Because people can get close and you're not thinking of that because you're just thinking, oh, I just want to greet you, Pastor. And you're, and you know what I mean? It's, it's like, okay, that's great that you want to greet the pastor. But however, I need to protect him or her because I don't know you. You're new. And so it's just, it's, it's making sure because unfortunately he has had some threats. And then, you know, also he's very vocal himself. So there's times that he has kind of, you know, He's been exposed. His family's been exposed. The congregation, you know, has been exposed. And it doesn't matter if it's my pastor, it's anybody's pastor. Because if they are definitely a, an avid voice of, for good, you know, versus evil, they are exposed, right? What type of threats has he gotten? Uh, I, I, you know, somebody wanting to beat, beat him up. You know, because they well, don't like the message he gave. Is that is that why? <laughs> well, well, it could be either the message that he might have given, or the fact that if they've called the church and he's not available, or they're passed off to another uh, associate pastor or something to that effect. You know, mm. um, you know, or I was only joking about that message thing. I mean, oh well, I, well, I guess that's true, right? <laughs> I guess it is true. true. Yeah. It, it is true, unfortunately. You know, wow. or it could be wow. something that he might have said that could have set somebody off. You know, mm. that that could be very controversial. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you said you have two two pastors, right? So yeah, we yeah our our yeah our pastor then his first lady. So but they're both pastors. Oh okay okay I I thought um, I thought you had two separate. No, they're. They're one, they're husband and wife, but she also serves as pastor too. Okay. Now what's, what's her role? I mean, what does she do as far as past pastorship? Well, she oversees um, basically more or less kind of the, the, the run of order of uh, the worship service, you know, okay. and the administrative uh, area of our church. And uh, I mean, she serves in many capacities, wherever it is that she's asked to help and serve. She has a very gracious heart and um, she does do that. Okay. Uh, now, you, we met in this um, diversity and inclusion class, and so, so is your church fairly diverse? It's predominantly black. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're looking to include more per persons of other ethnic persuasions? 
Well, we do have other people of um, ethnic persuasions. We most certainly do. We're very open, you know, okay. but, but for the most part, it is a probably a predominantly uh, African-American church. You know, okay. we do have, you know, Caucasians, we have Latinos, you know, so it is a diverse church, but the majority is people, uh, you know, black people. Very good. So you mentioned uh, that concerning all that's going on in the world, did you want to start to secure? Well, first, let me, let me go back to the point that I was trying to make is that um, how, how do the men uh, take being instructed by you or being the chief operating officer? How is, how is that? I haven't been to church in a while. And um, I know that it is it, uh, where I grew up, the, you know, it's very male dominated, as I said, as far as the men being in charge. So I'm just wondering how you're taken in your role as number one, chief operating officer and then number two is overseeing the security detail I mean, men may have a problem or issue with that so how are those two dynamics playing out so i would have to say actually this group of men they're pretty good you know um they've been pretty i'd say they've been they have been open-minded you know um there's one deacon who does um you know he's like hey what, what can i do or you know what 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 needs to be done you know so they are pretty open-minded you know um because bottom line is, end of the day, they're really serving under the Lord and not necessarily me. You know, so that's the first train of thought here is that I am working, I am serving the Lord. And though that this is his appointed person, meaning me, and she is a female, I need to give her that respect. So for the most part, actually, the group of uh, deacons that I work with, they're a pretty good group. They are, they are open-minded. They're willing to help, you know. So, yeah. Not, not too many issues, not too many rubble, uh, ruffled feathers there. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Shows we're making progress as a country. Uh -huh. So uh, speaking of that, uh, you talked about all that's going on. Uh, how, how did your pastor approach you about this? Did he, did he note the, the COVID situation? Did he note uh, the, the other church shootings? Did he note uh, just what's going on around the country in, in, in the last few months? What, what was the, his approach in, in telling you to set up this particular system? So basically it was the other shootings that had been taking place in throughout our country. You know, um, obviously you had the, the Bible study shooting there in Charleston. You know, you had the unfortunate with the synagogue, you know, um, it, it's, he's just like, you know, we have got to do something. We've, you know, he's always wanted a very well, I guess, ran type of security um, team, but seeing how these events have really happened, you know, his, his, his sense, his senses have heightened and just, and it's just like, Hey, this is what you do on your professional job. Are you willing to help? Can you, can you help us? And so I was more than happy to help with another young lady at our church who has a very similar background. And so we got together and, uh, you know, we did our training session uh, for the congregation. Very good. Very good. Um, so what are your feelings about what's going on in the more modern time uh, as far as uh, the riots, um, the view of law enforcement? What are your views about what's going on? About um, gosh, it's, I have, I have so many emotions. I have so many feelings, right? Um, being a person of color, having men in my family who are of color, and I, I, I tend to worry about them. Um, I realize that there are some law enforcement officers who are good. They are. And there are some who, who are not. And um, I feel that those who are not, you should be held accountable 
just as you felt that you should have held Breonna Taylor accountable or George Floyd accountable and all the others accountable because you felt that they were doing something wrong. My theory is if you're doing something wrong, then you should be held accountable. I don't like what's going on in our country, um, especially the fact that it's geared towards people of color, especially men of color. Why do men of color seem to be such a threat? And it just really breaks my heart. It does. Um, so what, what, what do you think the answer to that question is? Why do you think that men of color are perceived as a threat? Well, I mean, if we want to go back to history, you know, going back to the Constitution, uh, we know that men of color, people of color, we were never thought of, we weren't ever thought of, of anything. You know, we, we didn't seem to exist except to build something or, or, or make you more money, you know, the, the slave owner more money. Um, you know, or I, I even hate to say it, um, you have maybe a, a young Caucasian woman who wants to date out of her race and her father has always said no, because that is no good. Um, I, I'm trying to still wrap my head around why that is, because when I think of the spiritual side, God created man in his own likeness and image. And if we really want to talk about the truth, man was also created in the continent of Africa. That's where life began, right? If you, read, if you really read the Bible, if right. you really want to dig a little deeper, mm -hmm. and if we talk about Jesus Christ, he had the skins of bronze. You know, his skin was a bronze tone, and his hair was of a woolly nature. Mm. So, you know, he had some hue to him. He had some hue to him. But I'm just trying to wrap my head why um, men of color, women of color seem to be such a threat. What is it that we have done that you hate us so much? That's a question. There's a, there was a philosopher. He was a very good public speaker at the turn of the 19th century, 19th and the 20th century, around 1890s, seven, eight, nine. I read a lot of his works. And he, he wrote, uh, he gave a speech, a lecture, and he titled it something along those lines, you know. Um, it, it was a, actually a message to black people saying that, uh, you know, basically, you know, you're free from slavery now, get yourselves together. And then in the same speech, he gave, uh, he gave him, he asked a question, you know, why do you white people hate black people so much? What have they done? They never enslaved your children. They never, uh, you know, raped your women and, and all this, you know, he went on this litany of, of ideas. So it, it is a, it is a great question that he asked at that time. It's one that people are asking today, you know, in 2020. Um, so I, you know, I really like the answer to that is, as to why we are so despised um, so much. I wish I knew the answer to that, uh, uh, Captain Hunter. I, I really do. I wish I knew the answer because if I did, then I'd probably be rich. But I, I don't, you know, I don't know why. You know, is it is it that whole entire past of teaching that people of color are no good? People of color take and destroy, which is not true. Because if we look back the history of uh, the Black Wall Street, you know, are they afraid because? When people of color actually come together, we develop something very, very awesome, very unique. You know, the Harlem Renaissance. Are you kidding me? The Black Wall Street. Are you kidding me? I mean, come on. If you even look back in deep history, you know, some of the great kings and queens, if you look in the Bible, they were men and women of color. You know, I mean, Cleopatra, she was a woman of color. No disrespect to Elizabeth Taylor, but she wasn't 
<laughs> she wasn't a white woman, you know, mm. but people of color, when they come together and use their resources, we can do some wonderful things. We have done some wonderful things and we will continue to do wonderful things, but I'm not trying to take away from my neighbor's kid or my coworker who was not um, of my hue. I'm not more likely. I'm trying to uplift you and encourage you. Why can't you do the same for me? Why am I so, why do you feel so threatened by me? You know? How, uh, so how is your neighborhood? Do you live in a diverse neighborhood? How is that? Um, <laughs> I would say I live in a diverse neighborhood. I'll put it like, let me put it like this. Certain parts of the neighborhood that I might walk about are probably a little bit more diverse than the actual home that I reside in. You know, I find myself walking and I see a person of color and I'm thinking to myself, oh, where'd you come from? Mm. You know, really making a tent talking about, hey, how you doing? You know, really acknowledging the fact that, wow, I'm glad to see you out here. Mm. Uh, so have you ever spoken to any of your white neighbors and just, I mean, how, I, I, I think that we have lost, I don't even know if the term lost is right, but you know, when I moved to my neighborhood, right, you, you always heard people get baskets and stuff. None of that ever happened. I would just kind of just wave at people and that was it. So there's some people I've li been living here for maybe 14 years and you know, some people I've never met. So uh, I would indict myself in this, but have you ever met your neighbors? Do you know what their philosophies are? Do you know what they think about black people moving into the neighborhood? Any of that? I've met my neighbors. I don't know what, I, I don't know if I necessarily know their philosophy. You know, it, it, it's really interesting because of COVID. And then just recently I uh, got a little puppy for my birthday. And so I've been out and about in the neighborhood and not to mention the fact our property um, has gone under kind of some construction work, right? So all of a sudden now people whom I haven't seen or have seen, they are more interested about the construction. And if I'm outside, Oh, hey, how you doing? I'm from outside with my dog. Oh my gosh, he's so cute. What kind of dog is he? This and the other. So I probably talked to a lot more of my neighbors now, probably in the last two weeks to a month because of these various things of getting the puppy and the uh, construction that's taking place kind of outside. I guess I might want to say in my backyard there, you know, and the majority of them are Caucasian, right? Mm -hmm. But the majority of them seem nice. Some of them might question, like, what do you do for a living? How is it that you manage to live out in this particular area? You know, um, I, I feel, and maybe they, not, they may not be saying that or thinking that, but I feel like they are at times. I absolutely, I absolutely feel that way whenever I talk to someone and they ask me what I do. I, I, I always feel like that. I remember one time uh, I was getting on an airplane, you know, you're kind of waiting in the waiting and this lady walks up to me and we, you know, we're having a nice conversation. And within three minutes, three, four minutes, she's asking me what I do. And I'm like, what, what, what? <laughs> that, that, that doesn't cross my mind, but I don't want to cut you off. <laughs> it doesn't cross my mind to ask people what they do for a living. It doesn't. <laughs> well, it, it, it doesn't cross my mind either, but what I've learned in my neighborhood, I've learned that there is definitely a lot of status people, a lot of doctors okay. in my neighborhood. You know, oh, my husband's a doctor. Oh, that's great. Mm. Oh, my husband's a doctor or my husband's a surgeon. So I hear a lot of that. And I'm not knocking the doctors, but they mm. make it a point to really right. say, this is the status of, of me and my household, right? You know, so, so 
you know, and, and we actually have some neighbors who live um, in two different areas. You know, they go down to the southern part of the uh, country during the winter, and then they're up in Michigan for the summer because Michigan just has some very beautiful summer weather. You know, but um, they're a great couple, very nice, uh, very outgoing, um, you know, very comfortable and speaking to us. We've been the neighbors for like, what, 12, 15 years, I think it is, since we lived out there in the, in the area that we do. Um, you know, their views, they, you know, they ask questions, you know, like, what is going on? Like, why, why is this happening? You know, I, I don't think what is going on is really just and fair, you know, so we have that rapport with uh, that one set of neighbors, you know. Oh, so you talk about what's just and what's going on, just and fair as far as what's going on in the country? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah we'll have those conversations. You know. Oh, I'm very interested to hear what they have to say about that. What is, What is their viewpoint? What is their oh, take on it? Their Their take on it. It's 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 nerve wracking. It's disgusting. It's It's heartbreaking. You know. It's sad. You know. Um, now, what's sad? Is it the riots that are sad? Is it Is it the breakdown between the black and white? Is it breakdown between black Black people in the community? Or, all of the, it. A police in the community. What all is What it. is okay. All of it, the breakdown, you know, between the whites and the black, breakdown between the communities, breakdown between police and community, the break, uh, the protesting, the killing, you know, um, the lack of leadership, you know, it, it's, you know, we have these very open conversations, you know. Mm. Oh, that, that's very interesting. Uh, that's very interesting. So we talked about, um, and I want to kind of bring it back to, to, back to the police as far as, uh, you talked about accountability and holding them responsible when and if, you know, something bad happens. What is your view of, about that? Could you elaborate about that a little bit more as far I mean, do you not think that they're held responsible? Some, no. <laughs> right. Straight and easy to the point. I mean, I mean I'm sorry. No, no. It's, listen, I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you that in many cases, police officers are not held accountable. I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think that that, that is the problem. I don't think that the problem so much is, it is a problem that, that, that uh, black males are, are often uh, roughly treated and or shot. Now we're not shot. I mean, there's more white people who die at the hands of the police, whether they're unarmed or armed. Um, there's more white people. But the, in any case, there seems to be a problem with the prosecution, the investigation uh, into how and why the police did what they did and what can we do differently and holding them responsible is, is, is key. And as you mentioned, if your view is that they're, that they're not being held responsible, if the, if the view of your neighbors is uh, that they're not being held responsible, then I think the police really need to listen to that and say to themselves, what can we do to gain the trust of the community and to hold ourselves accountable? I think they need to, you know, we always say don't judge a book by its cover or, you know, be able to walk a mile in a person's shoes. You know, I really, and I realize, you know, law enforcement, law enforcement, at least from maybe my perspective and perception, is that you get training, right? You receive training as to, or at least you should receive training as to how to handle that firearm in your hand. You also should have enough mental capacity, because I'm sure that they go under some type of psychiatric type of uh, training to say, are you really fit for this career path? But you should also have enough restraint. Do I really need to put 20 bullets in a person 
when I know that I probably can just shoot them in the foot or hand or something just to disarm this individual to more or less kind of subdue them, I would say, in order for me to get my handcuffs on them and what have you, and then we'll take it from there. So the question becomes, you know, do you have enough mental capacity to make that right decision or not? Why do you need to put seven, 20, or how many ever said bullets in an individual when you know really in the back of your mind, it just needs to take one to shoot them in the, in the correct part of the body to stop them? Well, yeah, there's, there's a lot to unpack there, and I certainly agree with you. I do think it comes down to training. I think it comes down to uh, the culture of a particular department. Uh, and then when I say culture of, of a department, I would say, you know, what is their view of the community, not just the black community, but how they view the Hispanic community, Im the immigrant community, you know, what, and how do they, how are they going to approach them in their conduct, right? If you think that certain people don't belong here, whether it's in a neighborhood <laughs> or if it's uh, in the country as an immigrant, or if it's, you know, if you have a problem with black males or if you have a problem with Hispanic females or people speaking another language, you know, it, that all depends upon the culture of, of the department, which comes from the top, as we, as we talked about before. And so, you know, so a lot has to change. And so I, I appreciate that you're, uh, that you're at least thinking about this type of thing and saying, you know, listen, there's, you're getting this training. What, what can you do better to change the outcomes of this training? Maybe, maybe it's not working. Maybe you need more training. Uh, so I think that, I think that that is a right, right way to have it. Um, well, I mean, you and I went through that class together, right? Uh, right. Diversity and inclusion at workplace. And, you know, we had that uh, whole assignment with the brown eyes versus the blue eyes, you know, with um, Jane Elliott, you know, and, and this was going back in 1968, right? Right after Dr. King had been assassinated. And then the thought process of those who had blue eyes and those who had uh, brown eyes, and these are, these are children. And we know that children are very honest with their comments. I mean, children are, right? At a certain age, they're very honest with their comments. But the fact that these children were teaching adults lessons, you know, in 1968 here, and then they started feeling or developing their own biases because they, 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 they were more or less separated and you had preferential treatment that was going on, right? Mm-hmm. And that Jane was more or less displaying that we all have biases, but how do we go about trying to correct them or train myself to not necessarily have this bias, trying to have a better understanding of who Captain Hunter is? Who is he? Where does he come from? What is he about? I don't care what he does for a living, but what is he about? Oh, okay. He He's got a podcast. He, he talks about various things. He had a, a Father's Day, um, you had a Father's Day episode on there talking about men and their sons, you know, and how important uh, a father figure is, you know. Okay, so, so then Captain Hunter, he, ha he has a heart. He has, he has compassion, right? Mm -hmm. It's getting to know the individual, like you said, the community. And I don't think we as a human race really have taken time to do that. Like, I don't, you know, there are some people just, I don't really care what your culture is like. Well, guess what? You should care. That's, that's an excellent point. People should care. And that would break down the walls and in, in, in the, the problems that people have, that people have. Yeah, that's, that's actually a very good point. What, 
And, and I, I wonder if people are really learning the lesson as you talked about Jane Elliott, right? She did this in 1968 after uh, King was assassinated. Uh, it's not, she's still at this work 40, 50 years later. She is. She's, she's still doing this, still teaching the brown eye, blue eyes lesson. Still, and, and so what is it that you think people aren't getting? What, what, what is your mindset that people aren't, aren't getting these lessons that she's trying to portray. We're still going to these classes and having seminars because people aren't getting it when they go to work and they're being treated a certain way. Well, I, I think it's probably a culmination of things, but maybe the, um, it's the fear of the unknown or it's the fear of the past that we, you can learn from the past and, learn from, and, and, and understand the past, understand why this might be, right? But take bits and pieces of those and keep on moving forward. You know, I mean, gosh, Captain Hunter, um, <laughs> we don't take the time to really understand the past of a person, why this person might be this way today. What happened to him or her? What type of trauma? What may have happened in their life that they are this way, right? We tend to learn our habits and tendencies from our parents, do we not? So if my mother and my father do not correct me at an early age on to, I don't know, pick my nose, I'm probably going to carry that tendency with me until my adult age, right? If, my, if I am not corrected at that point of coming into the world and when I can start comprehending, don't do that, right? Now, I'm going to use my puppy as a prime example. He's teething. He's been chewing on the wood base there in, in my house. So I told my husband, I said, get a little bit of hot sauce. So sure enough, he did. Thor went back, because that's my dog's name. He went Thor? back. To, Your dog's yeah. name is Thor? Okay. Yep. <laughs> he went back to the corner of that. Once he smelled the hot sauce, he didn't go back to that particular corner because there was something there that wasn't good, right? Because he had this bad habit. And I'm not saying... Hot sauce people. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm not yeah, saying don't, don't call the ASPCA on, on, on her. Don't, because no, I'm not, I'm not saying that. <laughs> what I'm saying is that, obviously, we, have, we are taught bad habits. We are not born with bad habits. Understand that statement. Mm. We are taught bad habits. We are not born with them. So, therefore, the bad habit has to be corrected. If it's not corrected, unfortunately, it will probably grow with you until adulthood. So understand the past. Yeah. Understand yeah. your Muslim friends or your Jewish friends. Understand that they went through the Holocaust. Understand that. Understand your Native American friends. Understand your Caucasian friends. Understand your black friends and your Asian friends and your Latino. I can go down the line of things and people. Understand them first. Ask the question, why might this be? Why? What happened that was not necessarily corrected, that the actions are still happening today. What was your biggest takeaway from uh, the class that we took, the classes that we took, and uh, how would you implement that, or what's your plan to implement that on your job uh, as vice president, as well as COO? You're kind of a big time boss lady there, a COO of the church. What, what is your plan? What, what did you take away? What's your plans to do? Well, my, my takeaways were really to understand, ask, you know, don't be afraid to ask some questions. Obviously, be mindful of what you're asking so you're not offended, right? so, you're not, so you're not being offended or, you know, offending the individual. 
but taking the time to ask questions, taking the time to invite that person. If you see somebody standing off, say, hey, do you want to come join us? Invite them in. Because when we isolate, and right now we are isolated because of COVID, mm -hmm. but the fact that when we isolate, that's where that wall and that barrier is being built. And then now this person thinks they don't want me or whatever, you, you know, whatever the case may be. I, I don't belong. I don't, have a, I don't have a place. I don't have a sense of belonging. I don't have a home. Mm -hmm. But inviting, inviting them in, mm -hmm. having an open mind, an open dialogue, just, just to say hi. If the person doesn't say hi, you know what, keep on going. Because children of God, we are to acknowledge one another. What's your fix for the country? I mean, if you could snap your fingers, fix the country uh, as far as the, the as far as the divide between the police and the public, uh, as far as the, the racial tension that seems to be building, what would be your fix for that? Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's a loaded question. That's a loaded question. I, I, I guess maybe my fix would, you know, be... I literally, I guess, would be to ask the question, why? Why are we so divided? I would ask probably that question. That might be my fix. That may not be the greatest answer. I mean, listen, it's, I think that if you could, could ask the question why, get people thinking to really kind of hash out their irrational beliefs, whether it's the police towards the public, whether it's the public towards the police, really think about what they're saying, what they want there's this guy who comes on my Facebook page every once in a while. And he's constantly asking me the latest question he asked me was, uh, did I think the seven shots in the back of uh, Jacobs uh, was, was deserved? I mean, what, what kind of rational, that's not even a rational question. <laughs> right. I mean, but you know, you had to kind of, not that I have to entertain people like that, but I'm trying to, to do something. And so, you know, you had to kind of give them an answer, but it's not always going to be the answer that they, that they want. So I'm trying to get people to think about what's, what is possible, what is rational, what is reasonable. Um, and, and so I, get, I think that to get people thinking is the most important thing. And, I, and, and so I don't have a problem with your interest to, as to ask people why. Get people thinking. Have them think through what they want. You know, it's, not, it's simple just to say, hey, listen, stop being racist. Hey, stop hating the police. Hey, police officers, stop shooting people or whatever. But let's let's have a decent rational conversation as to why these things are going on and so therefore maybe we can fix them from there i mean the bible says do unto others as you want to be done unto you so mr so and so do you want seven bullets in your back and your back is towards somebody do you want seven bullets in you i don't think you do do you constantly want to be looked at and followed when you go into a grocery store or whatever the case may be or misjudged because you are wearing something I don't think you do what uh, so let's kind of switch gears here and then I'll let you go what's what's your uh, church doing about COVID are you helping people out or are you giving out food or masks or, or what's your, been your response to this COVID crisis so you know when people call it, I think it just really depends um, what their need is. Um, but our church has been trying to help in probably many facets, whether it is maybe providing food. Um, you know, if, if they're at the church, like I said, we haven't been inside the church ever since this took place. And we've uh, been in our parking lot doing church service. But if, you know, a congregant member calls and says, I'm in need of X, Y, and Z, our church does our best to really try to help them, um, you know, as much as we possibly can. 
you know, whether that might be food, whether that might be school or that might be finances, you know, it just, it just depends, you know, but we do our best to help, to help out our congregation and even the community that surrounds that church. What's the plan for the winter, right? I mean, winter comes in like September for, for, for Michigan, right? I have a friend, my, one of my best friends lives in Minnesota. I'm like, why do you live there? But, but it's gotta be the same, same thing. Uh, Winter uh, doesn't come that early. (laughs) Maybe October. uh, (laughs) <laughs> okay, okay, October. I know he's, he's, he's called me sometime during the middle of the snowstorm. I'm like, what? It's, it's October. It's like, it's still like 70 degrees here where I am in Connecticut. I mean, it's not, it's not much warmer, but, but so what's the plan going forward as far as church services? You guys are going to be back in church? Are you going to sit outside in the parking lot in two degree weather? What's, what's, what's the story here? <laughs> so, you know, as long as the weather is good, we're going to continue having our services out in our parking lot. But when the weather does start transitioning, you know, as our pastor does a great job along with our media team, he will continue to stream, you know, via Facebook, uh, YouTube, what have you, our Sunday services. Um, you know, so through the winter months, we will still have church service. If we can be outside as long as we possibly can, weather permitting, we will be outside in the parking lot as long as we can. Otherwise, he will, you know, continue to transition, you know, there on Facebook or he, I mean, he does that Facebook and YouTube. He does the service uh, via both of those those outlets, and then you know take us into you know the winter to the spring to spring months. You know, very good, very good. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I really really appreciate it. Um, I uh, hope I answered your questions. This was. <laughs> We, we were kind of all over the board today. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, I like to keep, I like to pick people's brains. So I hope that I wasn't too distracting, but, but you did answer the questions. I think you did a phenomenal job. Uh, I could see why you're the vice president and COO. I mean, you're very thoughtful in your, in your answers and uh, you have a dog named Thor and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's all good. Who you torture with the, uh, with the uh, hot sauce. So I'm going to have to keep that in mind. Uh, so oh, it's, it's <laughs> he's a puppy, right? He's, yeah, well, you got to train him. You got to train him. You know, uh, and he, I don't want you chewing on my on my baseboard. Don't. You know? uh, and, and you're right. If you don't stop him today, he'll do it tomorrow. So you know. <laughs> so, but but I know every you know those dogs they had those those sensitive snouts. So every time you go to put hot sauce on your on your on your sandwich, he's gonna run in the other room. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he doesn't want the sandwich, right? Yeah, so it yeah, yeah. So it's gonna work. So. <laughs> Um, so thank you so much for being on. I really, really appreciate it. Um, hopefully I can reach out to you again and we can do this conversation again and talk about something, uh, whatever else you got going on at your church. And I wish you the best in, uh, in everything that you do. And, uh, that's it. Well, yeah, thank you. I appreciate, uh, the invite on your, on your show. I appreciate that. And, uh, thanks for reaching out and please. Yeah. If you want to talk again, you know, about more security or safety or the train of thought of what's going on in this world. Hey, let me know. Shoot me an email or a text. We'll make it happen. Sounds good. I'm going to hold you to that. Now, I hold people to that, so don't, don't just say that to me. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, seri- I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm serious about that. I am. Okay. I'm, I'm right. very serious about that. So, so thank you. Thank you for your time, and uh, it, thank it was you. good. It was good. Thank you. Absolutely. Take care of yourself. I'll talk to you again. All right. You too. Okay. All right. Don't bye. Hang, don't hang up. All right. So, uh, I usually stop it right there. So, so, we're good. It was all good. I really mean that. And, uh, so I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. I just put the microphone away. So oh, yeah. I, I know you got to go. So I just want to say thank you. I usually try to talk to people after a little bit. but um, So I appreciate it, and I'll reach out to you again. Sometime. So, but wait a minute. Question for you, though, Lawrence. What 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 do you do? <laughs> uh, yeah, people don't know that. Well, so, so uh, No, I mean, because you did say you had a law enforcement background yourself. Yeah. You're retired. 
I retired uh, police captain. Uh, I did 24 years at Waterbury Police Department in Connecticut. Uh, so right now I have a consulting agency. Uh, it's my um, uh, prospects that uh, uh, this pro podcast will uh, kind of boost up my, my, um, my clout within the community. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so I have a consulting agency. Uh, I'm actually trying to get into some churches. I know that they're not doing some things as far as doing exactly what you're doing, helping them set up their security teams and things like that. Uh, so uh, my consulting agency has a lot of different things. I, I taught uh, some uh, report writing classes to a security company. Uh, so I do anything that has to do with with law enforcement leadership, um, and I want to get into the corporate world as far as that's why I took the diversity and inclusion uh, class. I was an implicit and bias instructor uh, for my for my agency. Uh, not only do I want that certification, but I also want the you know diversity and inclusion certification as well, so I can get into some big time uh, or even small time agencies or or you know private industry and say, hey, listen, here's how you can fix some of your problems. Um, so I uh, teach leadership classes. I help people take promotional tests. So a oh, lot wow. of different, yeah, a lot of different things uh, as far as, as far as all that. So that's, that's, that's kind of what wonderful. I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, not kind of, that's, that's wonderful. Well, it's, it's still getting off the ground here. So it'll be wonderful when I start making some money. So well, <laughs> that's when it will be wonderful. <laughs> well, you will, yeah. you, you will, you know, yeah. you know, God breathe uh, ideas. So you, yeah. you definitely will. So you just, just gotta, you know, remain patient there because yeah. it will happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. I had to be patient. And my patience is like, okay, it's, it's two o'clock now. Uh, how come this is, hasn't happened yet? So, but that's, that's the way, that's the way my mind, my mind works, but I appreciate you asking though, but that's, that's exactly what I do in my podcast as is talking about bridging the divide between the police and the community. And I, and I want to kind of break down this divide that we have between the police and the community, right? The police aren't always right. I know they don't like to hear that, but they're not always right. And the public isn't always right. And so right. the public doesn't understand why the police make the decisions that they do. And, you know, the, the police often forget that they were members of the public before, right? They, 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 they forget that. Uh, so I try to try, I try to bridge that divide. So that's what my podcast is about. And I also want to talk to the community, right? So I've done episodes on exactly what, what you're doing, you know, trying to help your church. Uh, and I've done episodes about, uh, um, the importance of the rites of passage uh, from, for men. Uh, you, you probably heard the episode I did about, about the importance of men in the home and strong men and leadership. And, and um, so I did episodes on, on women who bleached their skin because I want black women to love themselves uh, mm -hmm. and, and not, and not, uh, you know, bleach their skin and try to be something that they're not. So, so I, I, I've done a lot about a lot of different things. Um, so I want to just try to help the community, especially the black community. I'll say the community a lot, but I want to help the black community be better, open up these businesses. Um, I've, I've reached out to a couple of different business owners. I want them on my show to, be, to say, hey, listen, be an entrepreneur. Listen to these people. I, I did a show about the credit, uh, you know, and doing better with your credit. School, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, so all these different types of things are, are really, really important to me. Um, that, so we can build, you talked about Wall, Wall Street and you talked about the Harlem Renaissance. Well, we can do that again. Um, and it pains me when I see these crazy uh, videos of women uh, fighting in the streets or guys shooting each other and, and all this kind of stuff. We, you know, we have to do better as a community. And, uh, and, I, and I'd like to have people like you on who are strong black women uh, who are raising kids, uh, torturing their dogs, and, and having a good time and, 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 and really productive members of society. 
and saying, and I want to highlight people like you and saying that people should be like that. People should be like that. You don't have to, even though you came, I don't know what you came, where you came from, but I came from an inner city. Uh, my mother was a single mom of two kids. We lived in a third floor of a three family house. And, uh, you know, I was able to make it out and do something with my life. And I think that other people had that, should have that mindset, whether you live in um, uh, the projects. I had a white lady on who was a former FBI agent. And she always talked about how she was white trash and how she grew up on a, on a, on a, on a cattle ranch. And, and, uh, but she made it to the FBI and she felt like as if she should not have been a member of the FBI because all these people were academics. But here she is in the middle of these people. It was a really, really great story if you, if you get a chance to. I, I encourage people to listen to that episode because it's not just black people who have this sense of they don't belong, but this white person, white lady, said she's, she didn't belong either. And she ended up in the instructors in the FBI Academy were kind of trying to push her out or trying to challenge her. We don't know which one, either push you to be your best or push you out. So she had this feeling that she didn't belong. And so, uh, so it was really, really important that I'm actually going to, I'm still recording. So I'm going to put this in here. So anyway, <laughs> uh, so, so um, it was really just, just a great, great episode. And so that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do is just trying to make sure that people are living their best life, whether you're black, white or whatever. And so that's, that's what I'm about. Well, I mean, and I appreciate that because, you know, I have, there's four of us. I got a twin brother and two older sisters, you know, um, growing up, unfortunately, you know, as I like, to, as I say it, you know, my father left the team, meaning that he, he left us, you know, which left my mom to, to raise us. Mm -hmm. And my mom did a phenomenal job. You know, um, she did the best that she possibly could. Now, obviously, you know, some of us probably took our own little paths and some of us had to go through those trials and tribulations to really understand that's not what you want to do. You know, and, you know, I was uh, one of those children who said I was, uh, I was the ugly duckling, as I told my mom. I said, Mom, well, I'm this ugly duckling who grew up to be a beautiful swan. And she goes, well, you're never ugly. I said, well, I appreciate that, Mom. You're my mom. So you're supposed to be biased, right? But, you know, me being a child growing up who had a studying problem, who was in special education, who, you know, wasn't sure where I was going to go for school. You know, I just knew that I wanted to go to get a, uh, a degree. I wanted to be an attorney at one point. And then I wind up going to school here in Michigan. I graduated. I got my master's maybe some years later, back in 2012. I uh, married a man who I love, who adores me. You know, um, I've, I've been blessed. I have been truly blessed. Sure, I've had some ups and downs in that. Sure, I probably left God, but God never left me, you know, and then I came back and there's this whole, whole different dynamic that I see things, you know. Sure, I've been discriminated against, hate mail been sent to me oh, on my wow. previous job in uh, Flint, Michigan. Oh, yeah, I got a hate piece of mail and it crushed me. I was crying. I was hurt. I can remember standing in my office and the cops at the time that I knew did come to me and tried to help me but, and comfort me, but... You know, I just knew right then and there, this is what I'm going to be contending with. And me being a black woman, and there's not many women of color in the entertainment venue field, you know, the, uh, the convention centers, the arenas, and this and the other. There's not that many. There is some, but there's not that many of us. And there are those who that are, are in this industry, they're great women. They have a great sense of knowledge. They have a great sense of self, you know, so... You know, I, I, I have been, I have been blessed. You know, the good Lord most certainly does keep on working on me. Um, you know, <laughs> I pray every morning that he helps to guide the tongue because sometimes it might get me in trouble. 
<laughs> we didn't talk too much about what you do. I mean, I, I, I intentionally stayed away from that. I mean, I don't know if you could talk about it. So you are, are over a... So, so, so here in Lansing, like I said, you know, it's the authority that I work for. And we manage three properties. One is a convention center. The other one is a minor league baseball park. And we manage an 18-hole golf course. So it is my responsibility to oversee those day-to-day -day operations, the, cleanly, the, the cleanliness, the HVAC components, the maintenance of it, the safety and security component, you know, but the majority probably of my work is probably in the facility, is in the convention center. We also do a music festival. We, you know, we partner with another uh, entertainment group that does this festival, and that's been going on for 20 years. Well, it would have, but because of COVID, it didn't happen this year. But security was one of my uh, responsibilities, working closely with law enforcement and the management, uh, emergency management side of things to uh, more or less help create this perimeter that is safe and sound, hiring the contracted security company to oversee and to be hired each night to watch over the grounds and the security gates for people to go through the metal detectors, you know, because obviously with things changing, you got to get pat down now these days, unfortunately, you know, um, but you know, you know, to writing to reports, to talking to the president, CEO, sitting on various committees. You know, I sit on three committees here. Is it three? No, two. Two committees here in town. You know, one is the Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Junior Commission of Mid-Michigan. I serve as the vice chair. I sit on the Greater Lansing Sports Hall of Fame committee here in town as well. You know, um, I sat on our Riverwalk Theater Board, which is a small theater here in town. But, you know, I wanted to be involved in the community. Um, so that's kind of a little gist of what I do. <laughs> and then, like I said, I'm at my church. I'm, I, I serve as a minister at my church and the CEO there at my church as well. Wow, we, we really got to know each other after, after the episode here. <laughs> after the episode. <laughs> wow, you know? that's, that's really awesome. That's really, really awesome. And actually, wow. I kind of launched my own little security consulting business Okay. Back in 2019, 2018, okay. you know, um, okay. kind of take some of the experience that I have and maybe help those others to either write a plan, you know, yeah. um, you know, working with women, um, especially about that whole situation awareness when you are by yourself, pay attention to your surroundings, mm. you know, um, even if you are married to even, you know, depending what your husband does, if he's a high profile position, Stop and think about when you are with him. They might have protection for him, but is there protection for you as his wife? Mm. So, you know, those are the type of things that, you know, I kind of mm. work on and dabble with. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually branching out into that myself. Uh, actually, I've teamed up with another lady. We're going to be giving a, a seminar September 18th, 18th and 19th. We're gonna be doing, I'm going to be doing a seminar on exactly that situational awareness uh, for a lot of ladies. Um, mostly single ladies, but, but for any lady, actually. Um, so I'm branching out into that as well. And so if you need someone to help, I don't know, you said report writing. If you need somebody to help your guys get together and with the report writing or anything like that, you know, give me a shout. Um, I'm sure that you are probably capable of doing that yourself, but you need someone else to do it. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not, seriously. Uh, yeah, so I, I had thought about opening a security company. I don't know if I want to do that, though. We'll see. But well, it's not a company. It's just consulting. It's just more or less. That's the way to do it, though, right? Consulting. Throwing, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you know, because I, I do, do have 
quite a bit of experience, you know, um, yeah. in various scenarios. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, that, that's good. That's really good. Yeah. I'm definitely going to have to have you back. That Your work sounds fascinating. I love the fact that you uh, are doing things for the community. Uh, I need, I was once active in the community, and once my kids got bigger, well, I used to coach and all that kind of stuff. So now that they're bigger, I don't do anything. I mean, I'm just kind of just putting out this podcast, but I think it's important to do things and be seen. I, I do believe that. Um, so uh, I'm very much encouraged by that. Very much yeah. encouraged. Well, I really enjoy sitting on the Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Junior Commission of Mid-Michigan. They do some wonderful things. Um, we great group of folks that I work with and start to say work and sit with on the uh, commission. Um, now, what, what do you do for the commission? I mean, what does the commission do? What is the overall focus and vision of the commission? So obviously, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King and his, his whole vision, you know, but uh, definitely a community-based uh, um, community, uh, committee. You know, we... We put on, uh, we have put on one of the largest luncheons here in Lansing for the last 33, 34 years. You know, last year, you know, we uh, were supposed to have uh, Elijah Cummings, Congressman, uh, I mean, sorry, John Lewis, but due to his illness, he was not able to make it. But the lunch still went forward with one of his, um, one of his aides. His name is uh, Andrew Aiden, actually a very phenomenal young man. He helped him write the March books, the comic books, Okay. you know, and actually Andrew did a wonderful job speaking. You know, you could definitely tell that Congressman John Lewis most certainly had a huge effect on the young man's life. But, um, you know, we provide scholarships to um, um, high school kids here and elementary school kids here, you know, um, you know, we do various events or like um, outages, you know, there's um, uh, Lane Hardy, our chair, she takes a group of uh, young students to visit the um, black colleges. You know, she takes them on a black college uh, campus tour to kind of get them to see and understand, hey, these are some great colleges, you know, just besides here in the state of Michigan, but these are some great HBCUs universities. And, you know, so we'll, you know, we'll do that. She's done that. She's done a great job on that. Um, just really kind of reaching out to the community. Just this past weekend, we did kind of like a movie weekend here in the stadium here in town, we showed uh, Good Trouble, which is about uh, Congressman Lewis, and then number 42 with uh, Chadwick Bossman, uh, who just passed away, and him playing yeah. Jackie Robinson, you know. So those were the two movies that we just played um, uh, just this past weekend. So we're reaching out in the community to, uh, you know, keep Dr. King's, his dream alive, you know, that, you know. How, how is the community engagement? I mean, I talked a little bit about before about, you know, some of the, uh, you know, I'm, always, I'm always hesitant on how I put this, you know, the lower class, ghetto, you know, people, are you able to target them to get them to see that there's another way in life? I think that that is most important. Middle class persons like yourself and myself, uh, uh, you know, we have a certain mindset about us, but I think it's really important to target people who don't, know anything more than their community, right? Their, their environment, their neighborhood. How is, the, how is the outreach to them? Are you reaching out to them, giving them scholarships, et cetera? I think we are, you know, I realize that some of these scholarships are not million dollars no, or, yeah. you know, even 50,000. <laughs> yeah. $500 a semester to give, buy somebody books means it goes a long way. Absolutely. Well, but, <laughs> but even maybe 250, because quite frankly, one book, depending what class yeah. you're taking, could cost you 250. Absolutely. 
you know, so I feel, you know, that's just my perception. I feel that, you know, we have had probably a, 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 an impactful influence on the community because, you know, MLK was about everybody. It wasn't just about one person. He was about everybody. And that's the message that we most certainly try to deliver through the community, you know, with doing the movies, you know, the movies were free, you know, they could come to the stadium. Obviously there was a, uh, there's a cap of a hundred people, but even so that was an opportunity of someone who's never seen the movie 42 or good trouble about Congressman Lewis and the scholarship to the students there, you know, and it's not, you know, the scholarship essay just doesn't go to one school. It goes to many schools within, you know, the Lansing, East Lansing, DeWitt, Okemos, Hazlitt region, it, it, it's, that's touching your inner city schools and your suburban schools, right? It, it's a wide reach of getting, you know, the students involved and help them to learn more about the civil rights and not just those, those iconic names that we tend to hear, the Rosa Parks or MLK or, um, or Malcolm X. It's hearing about Franklin Doug or Frederick Douglass, you know, or George Washington Carver, you know, he invented peanut butter, right? It's, it's helping students to learn more about Black history and Dr. King and his legacy and what he, what he stood for and what he still stands for today. He may not be here, but his message is still here. You know, the Voting Rights Act with Congressman Lewis, what he stood for, he got into good trouble, right? That's, that was his, his model. That was his mantra, you know? It's, so, a, it's extremely important for, for people to know their history. It's extremely important. Extremely. It is because unfortunately it's not taught. And this is where, you know, um, me growing up, a lot of my black history was not taught in my school, you know? And this is where I think people, there's maybe that why, you know? Uh, there's maybe that why factor. Why isn't black history or any other history, you're Hispanic or Latino, Native American, why isn't this history really being focused on and taught in schools so people have an understanding why this happened? What happened to the Black Wall Street? What happened in 1916? What happened, you know, who was Cesar Chavez? You know, what did he stand for? I don't know that many young kids even know who Cesar Chavez is, you know? You have the English who will call him Caesar, you know, Caesar. No, it's Cesar Chavez, right? So it's just learning those things. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I, and I, I struggle with how much African-American history should be taught. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be taught. I certainly think that we should be more, uh, uh, it should not be relegated to just simply February, which is you know, ridiculous. But uh, my biggest struggle is, is that it wasn't taught in our institutions, our churches and in our uh, community centers. And that's where I, I think that, the majority of it should be kept alive. Sure, sure, people should learn about, you know, the the bombing of of, of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it, yes, that should be as much as of American history as as George Washington. I absolutely agree with that. Um, but I also believe that the the, the per people that you mentioned should be kept alive in our churches. One of the biggest problems that I had with traditionally black churches uh, is and I actually did an episode about this, <laughs> is the fact that, um, uh, you know, every Sunday when I went to church, we went to, I went to church for Sunday school, mm -hmm. and, and I learned Jewish history, Jewish myths, J Jewish stuff. And I'm not denigrating that, but, but the, the, all these Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the three Hebrew boys, and Moses, and th that's, all, that's all their stuff. 
Africans were doing things before then. We need to know what that was. Black people in America were doing things. Uh, Frederick Douglass and, and many other people, you know, there was a, he slips my mind right now, but there was someone else at Frederick Douglass time that he was going back and forth with. They were having arguments. Who was that guy? I mean, uh, so we need to know about those particular debates as to, and they were debating about which way the, which way African-Americans should go. Should we all go back to, to Africa? Or should we stay here? As Frederick Douglass was saying, stay here, make America the best place it can be. And the other guy was saying, we know we should go over. So uh, there's a lot of history of things that we, we, we need to know about. And my, my frame of mind is, and I still say this today, is that this needs to be taught in African, African churches. Every Sunday you have a captive audience of, of the majority black people tell them their history. Mm-hmm. I mean, assure we can learn about, about the, the tenets of our faith, uh, of, of the faith, uh, of Christianity. I mean, that, that's important too. But I think growing up, I went to church. I went to, yeah, I went to Sunday school from the time I was five, actually younger, four or five until I was 18, 19. And then I started teaching Sunday school. In that 13, 14, 15 years, not once did we talk about black history. I mean, sure, during, during you know, February, we would have a, a session on it, but, but not I, you know, this stuff should be ingrained in us. It is what they teach in Jewish synagogues. It's what's it's it's what they they teach in other histories and cultures, and they know their history. They know the culture. When is the best place for us to know their history and in their culture? And there was a lady that I listened to, and Barbara. Her name is Dr. Barbara Sizemore. She's on YouTube. Great, great speeches. Great, great talks. She's now passed, but she was a former, uh, you know, educator, um, and she get she she said something that was so powerful to. Uh, she talked about what's going on in Chicago. And um, she talked about the fact that the culture doesn't save the kids uh, in Chicago, right? The culture doesn't save them because the people did not save their culture. And I thought that was so profound. We have to save our, we have to save our culture. We have to know what we are, who we are, where we came from, how we get here, as you so articulately said, how we got here. We have to know all that. And so therefore, once we have all that, once, once somebody has that on the inside, there's so much research. Yeah, you're an educated woman, you know this. There's so much research on the fact that if you people know themselves and have confidence in themselves, then they won't go off in these different paths in life. And so therefore, because we have not preserved our culture, and I, I blame a lot of it on our, our churches. And this is me, I'm talking I, this is where I blame it on in our community centers. We, because we have not preserved that there, we, it, it is not able to save them and preserve them when they are enticed with going to rob a bank or going to sell drugs or going to, to, to treat a woman disrespectfully or whatever. They don't mm-hmm. have that internal mechanism that says I ought not to be doing this because they have no sense of keeping their, of keeping their ancestors name. Uh, keeping their, keeping their, making their ancestors proud, making their church proud, making their family proud. Their name, their last name means nothing to them. I talked to my, uh, to my daughter and I would tell her, listen, you keep, when, even my son too, listen, you're a hunter. You, when you go to school, you act like a hunter. You, 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 you are representative of this house of me. And when you, and so I gave them that sense of, of pride and all that kind of stuff. So, so I think that it's very, very important. And so people have to say their culture so their culture can save them. I like that. That is profound. Yeah. That's yeah. very profound. I wish I wish I wish I invented it, but it's Dr. Barbara Sizemore. <laughs> so anyone out there listening, look up her YouTube videos. Profound, 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 in my opinion. 
So we definitely got to do this again. We, we learn more about each other when the show is over than, 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 than going on. But I really appreciate it. I know you got you to gotta run. Um, yeah, so, I do. <laughs> thank you so much. We'll, we'll definitely do this again. I appreciate it, though. I appreciate the conversation. Well, please. Yeah, like I said, please definitely reach out because I, I enjoyed it. So thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You definitely got me out of my comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's important. That's, I, I have to remember that for next time. So. Yeah, yeah, I, okay. I don't, I don't do too many of these. I'm like, I don't know about that Zoom thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, I'll talk to you again. Take care. All right. Have don't a great torture, weekend. don't torture, torture your dog too much. I won't. I won't. <laughs> okay. okay. Bye. All right. Bye. <laughs>